I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a dual Australian-US citizen and the National Marketing Lead for Energy Resources and Industrials with Deloitte in Australia. I'm fortunate enough to be spending two exciting months in our Chicago office while I put my kids into school and finalise their US citizenship. And I'm delighted to have the opportunity to spend time with a number of our global thinkers, leaders and experts. I'm currently immersing myself in a different culture within a much larger team and I'm excited to I'm excited about the insights and learnings. Throughout this time, I'm speaking to different leaders and sharing their thought-provoking, relevant and influential takeaways. And oddly enough, I'm actually now in the Houston office, but today, delighted to be speaking with Suzanne Gilfie, a Managing Director of US Brand and Marketing with Deloitte, who is based in Chicago. So Suzanne, welcome. Great to speak with you today. Katie, thanks so much for having me, and I was so glad that I got to see you in your in in your soon-to-be second home city, <laughs> Chicago, which is known as the second city, as you know. The second city, wow, absolutely, it's it's very it's a very firm, fond favorite in my heart. <laughs> Suzanne, yeah. would you would you tell our our listeners a little bit about your interesting background, please? Sure. So, um, as I always say to people, I, I'm not a Deloitte lifer, but I feel that way some days. Um, <laughs> I came to the Deloitte for U.S. firm in 2002. Before that, I had been a partner at Arthur Anderson, then, and, then known as Anderson. That was something I had a big hand in doing. That's what I'm good at, by the way, oh. I shorten name. That, that's my, <laughs> my little trick in branding. I like um, it. And my background really before that had been um, in sort of many disciplines across the marketing world. I, I had a long time in PR marketing. Um, I did comms for our CEO when I was at Anderson for a while. So I kind of embraced a number of the disciplines, including market research and competitive intelligence. So by the time branding came to be a thing in professional services. I had embraced it because I had seen the impact of like how that nascent effort towards marketing in our space was starting to take off. Um, and I've been doing that now pretty steadily for about the past uh, 20, gosh, 23, 24 years. So it's a long time professional services. Absolutely. But I mean, I think I think such a long stint, even though it's not all been with Deloitte, almost makes you a, a lifer. I think you can still call yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, really interesting background, Suzanne. Tell me, what? how is your life and career improving as a result of being better connected with people around, around the globe? Well, when I was at Anderson, I had the fortune of having the same job I have now, but on a global level, because the organization structure was global. Uh, primarily. It was a bit of a flip of what we have at Deloitte. So I um, I say I have very fortunately seen the world on somebody else's proverbial nickel, as we say here in the U.S. <laughs> and um, in doing so, one thing um, I think I've come to appreciate is just, you know, the, the value of diversity of contribution and just the excitement of understanding another marketplace and also kind of how marketplaces engage and what's important to keep in mind. Um, you know, if we only, for example, in the U.S. firm thought from the U.S. perspective, I, I think we'd have a very narrow offer. I think one of the, the, the best things we can give to a client or bring to the table, especially for our multinational clients, is that we have experiences that draw upon a really rich and diverse um, network of insights, but also relationships. Sure. Um, in many many of our our uh, kind of uh, global offices and and member firms and countries, 
we have relationships that span from the community to the government to the marketplace, and we are, you know, full members of all, which is, I think, very exciting to see. And some of the most compelling stories I've heard about the impact we've had as Deloitte, um, one being our award-winning CAN entry this year, uh, where uh, our Australian team came to talk about and present the work that we did on saving the coral reef in Australia, a story I know you know well. Yeah, it was a fantastic uh, piece. It reminded me that we have so much impact around the world that it is, you know, it, it is a really kind of awe-inspiring thing to see. So for me, it's it's made it a much more rich and diverse landscape. Plus now I have great friends to take me to wonderful restaurants no matter where I go, which is exactly <laughs> the reason you're going out and traveling, I'm sure. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Uh, that, that's completely why I'm here. I love it. Suzanne is there one thing that you don't understand about Australia or Australians uh why Vegemite why (laughs) why I have to tell you so when I was in um in grammar school um we had a teacher who was I think you know had had been lived her early years in America but then had lived quite a portion of life in Australia due to her family so when she transferred back and had gone to school and kind of had just come out as a newly minted teacher of you know young people, yeah. she was very very excited to bring her Australian background, much of which we were more than you know equally excited to embrace. Sure. But she brought in food one day and um, made us all eat Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> I said to I think the first person who was bravely raised his hand and said, "Do you really like this? This is terrible." <laughs> <laughs> and she's yeah. like, "Don't ever say that when you're over there." Um, you know, I think we actually liked kangaroo jerky better than we liked the Vegemite. So, um, yeah, I, I think the varying the varying food is. Um, I think you know the one thing that I know that people don't understand about Australia is yeah. that everything's not right next to each other. I think people presume that. You're like a quick hour away between Sydney and and Melbourne, and and you know, and everything else is kind of just very connected, and it's not because you have such a vast landscape, and much of it's coastal we, in terms of your major cities. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I think I think at a at a crude level, the the landmass is about the same size as as um, the continental US. It's, yeah, and and I think what happens then is we presume that if we are going to ask a favor of someone and like there's two people working on something that you all just like go down the hall. <laughs> like, uh-huh. you know, it's part of like when people come to the U.S. and they say, I'm going to be in New York. I'm like, good, because I don't really live anywhere near there, but luckily <laughs> for you, I am, you know, I am coming. But, but it is, it is interesting that that seems to confuse a lot of Americans that either when they're planning a trip over there or if they're trying to work with teams on the ground, yes. that not everybody is, is literally like within a skip and jump from each other. Yeah, that, that most certainly is the case. I, I like your, I like your Vegemite example. That, that's come up quite a bit with a few of the conversations I've had. Yeah. My it, scarred, it scarred me. I wasn't too sure I ever wanted to eat more Australian food, i got to tell you. I, I might have to send you some. Did, did you have it very thinly spread or did you spread it like veg, or we, like peanut butter? No, no. She told us to spread it thin and then it changed colour, which kind of weirded us out. We had saltines and like we spread it thin. Yeah. And we trusted it, by the way, because it came from Kraft. And so we knew yeah, Kraft, sure. right? You know, yeah, it seems absolutely. like it's reasonable. We spread it thin and the first bite was so 
jarring. It looked like it was going to taste sweet and like jam, and then it, uh, no. Oh, no, it's sure not sweet. My mum moved to Australia. I so many, many, yeah. I mean, many years later, obviously, I was an adult when, um, you know, Land Down Under became a big song, and I was like, I know what a Vegemite sandwich is, and nobody's looking for one. <laughs> I'm here to talk to you. That's not true. <laughs> lots, lots of people don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, All right. Well, we'll agree to differ on that front. I'll uh, n- next I, time I you're in town, I'll I'll make you some. It's also good with avocado. Quite delicious. You know, I'm sure it actually does pair very well with other things. It's just we were yeah. we were not we were not given a heads up that it was not going to be like what we were expecting. So we were typical <laughs> kids and terrible about it. No, oh, I can understand that. All right, we'll 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 revisit that next time you're in Australia. Indeed, I'll, I'll take that on for you, <laughs> Suzanne. What advice would you give to your ten year old self? Gosh, um, don't worry so much. I think I used to kind of like semi-obsess about things that, quite frankly, now I would laugh about. I came across a diary I made. I don't think it was 10. I might have been like 12. But in half the entries, you know, because I was trying to be really like dedicated to it, were about things that were so completely minor and passing in the wind that, (laughs) you know, you, you wish that. You could go back and say, oh, give it two days. Like, yeah. everything will change. It's not worth, like, spending your brain cells on. I admire my focus, though, I have to say, because the things I obsessed about, I was very obsessed with, obviously. <laughs> like, they must have been occupying all my brain cell. Today, I can't keep, like, my brain focused for five minutes. But in those days, apparently, I could do it for days. Um, but I would say, don't worry. Like, everything changes. Like, you're just going to keep going. So nothing is uh, you know, nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's, like... I get, you know, that's throwing you off the tracks here. Yeah. Just keep going. Oh, man. I think that is a really good lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like it. Suzanne, what has been the biggest turning point in your career? Um, for me, uh, you know, I, I, I actually had to contemplate this for, uh, you know, a different purpose recently, and I, I kind of tried to unwind the school a little bit. Um, because I, it was in a conversation I was having with college friends who insisted that by choosing the college we went to that we changed the whole face of our lives. And I said, that's possible. I mean, I think we might have done things a little bit differently, but I'm not sure that's changed everything. But um, in my career, there was a point at which as a um, – I'd come out of college with an English degree, and I had started down the path of marketing because um, I'd done internships in school, and I you know, mm-hmm. kind of went into an agency and came out of the agency to some client-side work. And I was, you know – doing relatively well, but I was sort of in the middle growth path. Like I probably would have parked myself in as a, you know, kind of mid-range communications professional without, you know, either gone back to the agency or stayed put. Okay. And I remember going to lunch with one of the people in my group who was a little bit senior, who's a very, very good friend of mine, and he still laughs every time I tell the story. He's like, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm like, it was. <laughs> um, and he um, proudly presented to me that I was going to be in charge of this big project for the CEO. Okay. Now. This is a project that most of my colleagues had done, and I'm sure it wasn't that I got selected because I was so special and wonderful. It was because they didn't want to do it again. <laughs> it was a very, very heavy lift, time intensive, lots of time with all the senior leaders in the organization, et cetera. And, um, you know, it would take me kind of from zero visibility to a lot of visibility. I was kind of like, I don't want to do it. And he's like, yeah. no, you're going to do it. You'll be fine. Or we all did it. If we all did it, you can do it. And so he was right. And when I did it, the good thing about it is that by saying yes to that, I got access to a lot of people who made decisions about what the next big things were the firm was doing. And 
you know, where that could go and was able to kind of campaign myself into a totally different role and, you know, opened into doors to a lot of much more interesting work and then kind of more exclusively started working on executive level projects after that. And I don't think if I had an impression, if I come back from that lunch and come back to him and said, yeah, I just really can't do this um, because it's not something I've done before. um, I I think I would have still just kind of stagnated a little bit. I mean, I just finished, I got my MBA, but I just kind of finished that and I was kind of weighing what to do. And, um, you know, that really did change the course of where I took my career, which is probably why I've been in professional services so long. (laughs) But because it opened a lot of doors and all of a sudden I was doing some really compelling work, um, you know, it remained very interesting to me. And I can definitely say that that point, you know, the trajectory from that point was quite different from where I'd been on the path before. I, I like that you can very specifically pinpoint the big change. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think about it so much until I started really like walking back to saying, when did I start doing things I felt were like really, you know, because often we can do work that we feel is good, mm. but not really important. Yes. And when did I start doing things that I thought were important? And that that really marked a change um, for me, at least. And like I said, my friend who I'm still <laughs> close to, like, <laughs> I did not know why you remember that lunch as being like that major. But I'm like, it was a big, big deal. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. For me, yeah. it changed everything. It's like, well, I, I guess you owe me for life. I'll hold on to that thought. I'm You'd like, be yeah. buying him a whole lot of lunches. <laughs> well, you clearly made one hell of yeah. an impression. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Nice one. What might people not know about you, Suzanne? Um. Well, this would be something I think people wouldn't say about me. I actually am pretty introverted. Um, Most people would think that it's just a, yeah, that's exactly the reaction (laughs) I would get. I am am my own version of Netflix and chill all by myself. Like I said, it is is difficult, and I say this to encourage people who are often struggling themselves with, like, how to network, how to get out there, how to make connections, how to make the next, you know, outreach – I don't like doing it either. I mean, if I were to have my druthers, I'd, you know, spend most of my time in my hotel room, in my jammies, and watching TV, Um, not go to dinner with people, not do other stuff, not always make the outreach or join in. Mm. And, you know, I've learned over time to find a way into it that, um, you know, one, I'm comfortable with, but two, where I'm actually doing something productive, not just marking time. And I think that's something everybody has to kind of, find their own balance with but yes whenever I say this everybody in my group is like oh that's ridiculous (laughs) well I said it doesn't always just reflect people who are quiet I said I certainly could see that part of it for some people but I said Mm. there's a lot of people who are not naturally that you know engaged and in contrast I have you know a very close a close acquaintance who I think literally can't stand being alone like she would be the opposite of me. She always okay. wants to be in a group or always is joining the group or, or instigating the group and, you know, wants to always have gatherings and stuff. And I'm like, that exhausts my brain. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think for, for folks who are thinking about in my career path or how I'm developing relationships or what I need to do, um, sometimes it's just, you know, don't try to chew the whole, you know, thing at once. Try it easing your way into it in a way that feels comfortable and find some enjoyable ways to do it too. I mean, it doesn't all have to be, you know, things that you find tedious or kind of scary. I think that is such a good um, 
such a good piece of advice. I, I mean, I I am definitely an extrovert, but there are plenty of times when the last thing that I feel like doing is heading out to a dinner or a you know a networking function and making small talk and getting to know people. Yes, I mean, walking into a room full of people that you don't know is not easy. And I often in my role at the firm get sent into a lot of rooms full of people that I don't know because I am the one person that's going. So sure. it's, you know, it you, you get to a, a way to, you know, first of all, a lot of other people are doing the same thing. And second, there's always a lot of ways to find commonality and also find value in your conversations mm. with other folks. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Good lesson. Um, do you Would you say that you learn more from success or failure? Failure. Tell me more about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I think, well, first of all, I think a lot of people are afraid to fail. Um, yes. I, I have learned to not be afraid to fail. I think when you try things that don't work, you can unpack that. I think sometimes when things succeed, there's not always a really obvious reason as to why. It could be a lot of things. It could mm -hmm. be timing, fortuitousness, a lot of things. When things don't work, it's largely because you did not plan to think about what might not work. So it's a good discipline um, to sort of go back and, and, you know, kind of undo the failure yeah. and see where things might have gone better. What would I have done differently? You know, kind of be, be kind to yourself and let yourself do that. Sure, <laughs> but, sure. Uh, you know, I am, I'm actually afraid of people who f don't, who haven't failed or can't tell me a good failure story. That's, by the way, one of my interview tricks is I ask people about failure. That's a good And question. when nobody, when people can't come up with anything more than a, well, I failed when I was just constantly, you know, succeeding and my brother wasn't, so, you know, I wasn't enough time. You know, it's like something very, you know, kind of yeah. backhanded, you know, success story. It's a little worrisome. You do want to see that people understand how to fail because one of the best qualities any of us can have is resilience. If you're not resilient, um, you won't succeed in this world. It changes so much that you're just going to crumble. Yeah. So success is also part of learning how to fail fast and move on and to know what failure looks like. I know that a lot of the value I bring in the firm is by sitting down with, you know, our leadership and saying, you know, there's probably multiple ways we can go with this, but here's why I wouldn't go this way because we've mm -hmm. seen before what can happen or we need to plan against that because sure. it could be a problem. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, have you had a few people who've been good and honest in, in interviews about their failures? They have. I actually get, you know, I, I think I get a lot of credit from people. I come back with some amazing interview stories. People are like, <laughs> what? They told you what? <laughs> I mean, I've gotten people that I've gotten people to tell me some absolutely crazy things on interviews. Um, and I wouldn't just say it's failure, but you know, I think that's one important thing to do with a, you know, with a person who's going to be joining your team is to get people to a point where they're having a real conversation with you and that you're not just like yep. doing like the, the typical five behaviors questions. Yes. You know, I, I ask that not as like a straight in, but you kind of get to the, you know, what what makes you comfortable? What is that? You, you know, I'm comfortable. Where have you been on those types of things and tease it out of them and people start talking and they'll tell you some stuff. I tell you. Um <laughs> <laughs> but and, and, any crazy you, ones you can share with us now? Um, let's just say I had uh, I had one person who shared with me that, and this literally started over a conversation about Facebook of all things, which I'm not a huge Facebook user. I think yeah. I had made some passing mention that I had, you know, ended up having a coffee with someone I had seen since college, and that ended up with this guy 
explaining that, you know, he'd, he'd been having an affair with someone and something else. It was like all over the place. I was like, wow. In an interview. This is fascinating stuff for an interview dinner. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> did, did he join? Um, did he jo- come work with you? I am ashamed to say he did, not because I made that decision, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think the other, the, the person making the hiring thought that made him A, interesting and B, compelling. I'm like, oh, compelling would be a word. Um, but yeah, sometimes I think, you know, it, it is important. We all spend a lot of time each, with each other as team members yeah, and both, both sides of the equation. I like to, if I'm thinking about a role, I like to know who I'm going to be dealing with. And I think also... You want to feel like as a potential team member that you can contribute. So I, to me, it's incredibly important to have those discussions and to not shortchange them, like get to know the, the people you're going to kind of, quote, live with, as it were. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I think cultural fit as is as important as ability or, you know, ability to be able to do the job in question. That's yes. pretty cool. Are there any significant challenges that you've navigated in your career that you've drawn particular strength or in, insight from that you'd like to share? Well, I think what I do is not something people understand very well. Like brand is a real like mystery package. Yeah. Um, first of all, my father just is, you know, kind of full disclosure was in marketing, but he was in a very nuts and bolts part of marketing. Like he had sales, he had like the whole like sales and product division underneath him. So he had like, as we, my family would call it the serious marketing job, like, you know, with numbers and stuff. And like, he was responsible for a lot of revenue and all that. And my mother for years used to try to describe to people what I did. And it ended up like she was sending people to interview with me or spend time with me. And they wanted to be like writers or movie producers or (laughs) book authors or whatever. I'm like, mother, what do you think I do? (laughs) Like, well, I mean, you always go to all these interesting places and you see all these people and you go to fun things. I'm like, oh, my God, do you think I just go to parties all day? No. Yeah. Um, You know, so I, I realized that it's difficult. And when I came into professional services, as I mentioned, it's been quite a while Brand was not something that was really in the vocabulary. So I take satisfaction from the, the, the position now that over the time I've been here, and certainly I'm not the only person responsible for it, but I, I've put a lot of effort towards it, that brand is now understood as part of the strategic assets that we have in this yes. organization and that it has moved from being a cost and an expense and something, you know, our, one of our previous CEOs in the U.S. did not let me say the word brand when I came into the executive committee. <laughs> I was allowed really? to say reputation. He gave me, like, a list. He's like, reputation, um, external visibility. Like, he had a whole way that I could talk about it. And really? brand was not allowed. Wow. Because he did not want us to talk about brand because, God forbid, I might be talking about advertising that meant money. It was and like, is that what that meant, know. brand meant advertising? Uh, it did. It did to them, I guess, okay. in those days. Yeah. I was never allowed to actually give it its due and explain, you know, whether the investment in it could actually turn the tide on some things. Um, it really wasn't until I started doing much more consistent, holistic research, which they can get research, right? Because that's a lot more numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Then, then that started to tell the story of brand to them. They got that it was a real thing, and so I am proud of the fact that that was kind of an insurmountable challenge for a while, like. I, I used to run all of U.S. marketing and brand in the same job, and that's because brand took up like, you know, a quarter of my, like 20% of my time <laughs> because no one wanted to talk about it. <laughs> now, you know, fortunately that's shifted and we take brand seriously, yes. um, and it's it's very much more 
a, you know, uh, something we see as a plus and we're proud of the Deloitte brand, we understand that we can make it even better. Well, and we do some really good stuff, some really interesting stuff. Right. And we weren't doing that stuff before because we held ourselves back. Yeah. I'm not blaming the fact that, you know, we were much like others in the category, but that took a while to get us to the point where we could actually do those things. Well, and if you're not allowed to use the word, that's probably not a good start, is it? Yeah, I, I still look back on that and laugh. I just saw that CEO <laughs> at our partner meeting recently. <laughs> he goes, oh, I see you finally got advertising to happen. I said, well, yeah, oh, it, took you, it took you retiring to get there, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, brand, marketing, advertising, they're, they're all the same thing, aren't they? My, right. Yeah. He my, probably that, yeah. Yeah, huh? my, my dad asks me why accountants need marketers. <laughs> And, oh, and then yeah. and then thinks it's tied to tax evasion. So I, we've had lots of conversations about that, but I'm I'm not sure I'm ever going to get his head around that properly. No. Well, yeah. Like I said, sometimes it's good to be a little mysterious. I, I actually feel sorry for the people in the firm who work in the finance area because talk about a bunch of people breathing down your neck, thinking they understand what you're doing. That would be frustrating. You're you're right. Oh, I like that. I, I think I like to be a bit mysterious. I might I might use that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like it's it. job security, right? Yeah. Like absolutely. That. Absolutely. What does Nirvana look like in your career, Suzanne? Oh goodness. Um, a long sleep in. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I think for me, there's been a couple consistent anchors to that variety. First of all, I'm not a person who wants to face down every like March doing the same thing. No, um, no. I think that, that doesn't really signal that we've grown or, or shifted or, you know, keep, no. keep exploring. I hate you. Um, I think, you know, being willing to try new things. Um, and getting others to be willing to do that. So having a collaboration amongst others that you work with that we're going to take a leap together, that that's to me very compelling and powerful. And having a great team. I, you know, I think I'm very fortunate because the folks that I work with are, in my view, you know, really good at what they do and always, you know, kind of like-minded that there's a safe space that we can say what we need to say and that we're, you know, trying to do the best thing we can for the organization and that we're willing to kind of push our boundaries. And mm -hmm. so continuing to have a really great team um, and, you know, continue to find new people that we can bring along and get new ideas from. Um, if you put all those three together and made sure I got it every single day, that would be great. And then take <laughs> away like boring stuff like, Managing business card titles, which is not fun. Um, that like would it. be a happy spot. Yeah. So it's nearly every day that you, you reach Nirvana. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm lucky. I have a really great job, so I, I feel very fortunate. <laughs> awesome. Suzanne, what's your favorite song and why? Oh, okay. So we actually had to do this as like, this is so typical, Deloitte. We had to do this as a project once. Oh, really? Um, because we had these regular meetings and the person running them insisted on making us mixtapes. Now, how old do I sound when I say that? <laughs> uh, they, were, they were mixed CDs. I won't comment on the fact that my boss used to make me pick out his. I'm like, I can't pick out your favorite song. That's silly. Oh. Like, I don't know. So then I'd always pick out something really perverse just to make it weird yeah. for him oh, later when people I, ask him about it. I like it. Um, <laughs> Tell me I'm a big reasoning there. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Rolling Stones fan. It's hard to pin down my favorite song. I used to say Beast of Burden, but, you know, generally speaking, um, there's probably 
you know, kind of a few albums fold, I think, are great out of their repertoire, and then some very bad lean years that we won't speak of. But um, <laughs> you know, they're they're to me my they're they're my kind of consistent favorite band. Awesome. But I do like a lot of cheesy stuff, just like you know, in my DNet profile, you'll see that I like a lot of bad reality TV and other you know things like tabloid magazines. So I can't have my taste trusted. But for me, you I know what? You know what? I I firmly believe my husband and I have discussions about this regularly. But where I I focus hard during the day when I'm watching TV, I want something that is much of the time pretty mindless and is really not going to challenge me. Uh, reality TV has a place. It does. It's, yeah. it's it's entire. I mean, it's like obviously it's like the junk food of our our culture because we've managed to like it, it is it is like strangely like watchable and I will not joke Netflix in their series lately it's like all of a sudden you'll find that you've let four hours slip away like in episode after episode of something yes. amazing to me you know? yes yeah well and you know what most of most evenings after work I don't want to watch World War Two black and white document documentaries so uh yeah I'm with you completely if you could invite three guests living or not to dinner who would they be Ooh, see, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I'd want somebody who had faced kind of great adversity, and you want to kind of hear about that. Like Nelson Mandela, it sounds like yep. a cliche, but I would love to ask him, like, how in the world did you sit in a room for 27 years? Like, <laughs> and it's funny because somebody said, had a great response the other day when someone said Jesus. They're like, I mean, but you already know what Jesus would say. He'd give you like some like rebuke or pro, you know, like, why are yeah. you asking me this kind of thinking, think in your own head and like walk off on you. He's like, Jesus wouldn't have a conversation with you. He'd like, he'd be rhetorical and make you think about it, which I thought was really great. Yeah, I like that. Um, I would like somebody in, from the cooking world, like a Julia Child, who can explain oh, to me how it is that I can never get my sauce to work right. Um, okay. And then I'd like, you know, the problem is, is that I love, like, culture and the arts, but those people are often, like, really, like, introverted and not mm. terribly compelling. I think whatever makes you great at, like, the discipline of book writing is yes. not particularly helpful. But So if you could put together, like, an amalgamation of, like, some of the great novelists of the 20th century, that would be terrific. I don't know who that would be, but, um, you know, it's there's there's always kind of like, I would always like to understand what goes on in a great writer's mind and how you even come up with those stories. So, I, I mean, even down to, like, I I love a good, like, issue, old issue of Vanity Fair. You know, it's like yeah. all those kind of the ways people get into these stories is amazing to me. So... Maybe Truman Capote could come, um, but yeah, it's something like that. So that we had a good mix of people who would talk to each other, and somebody has to be like them, the host. But yeah, okay, okay. I think I think you've got a good dinner. Would Julia Childs be doing the cooking or just explaining? No, because I'm not that into like classic French. I gotta yeah, be honest, yeah, but, yeah. Um, I don't know that I want a bone marrow, um, you know, with a Bernays on the side. You know, she's got some crazy recipes. That was one of the first cookbooks anybody ever gave me, and I was like, wow. You oh. know, like that woman who went through and cooked every recipe in her book, I'm like, God yes, bless you. Yes. Because yeah. Even the basic stuff is hard. Um, but she certainly has mastered technique, which is what I'd want to understand. Absolutely. You can't knock Bernays sauce, though. I can't go past no, that on I any, know. Menu, on any menu ever. It's really good. 
<laughs> it, it does go with a lot. Pat, say that again. It does go with a lot of things. It does. It does. Oh, so delicious. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever been given? Oh, this is great, actually. Um, I used to work for a man who was pretty plain spoken and salty and was always trying to get me to get over myself. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I am always right, which, you know, I understand. Uh, it comes as a given. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. But I used, to, I used to let people get me really wound up because, uh, you know, it was like, oh, you know, how could they not see the perfection of my plan? <laughs> um, and he's like, Suzanne, people do not, you have to say this with a very heavy Boston accent, like people do not get out of bed every morning to try to piss you off. They just don't. <laughs> like that's not their objective yep, yep. most of the time. Like they yep. don't wake up, hop out of bed, open their eyes and stretch and say, how can I get under <laughs> and Gelfie's game today? And I was like, Okay, I get it. I'm self-absorbed and I'm being ridiculous, but you know, it's a good piece of advice. There are times when I sit back and I'm super frustrated about something and I thought, A, it probably isn't about me. The person's having some other issue go on yes. or I have not, I have to take it back on myself that I haven't put this forward in a way that they can grasp, you know, where the yeah. potential is. Yeah. And depersonalize it because as I say to my own team, like very little of any of this is about you. Like really. Yes. I mean, you don't have yep. to go on vacation with everybody, but very little yep. is about you. Yeah, And it's helped me get to a point where I can turn around and try to help people even that I find annoying or not helpful to me. Because um, I know they're not trying to screw up my life or my mm -hmm. job. Yep. Yeah. Because my old boss told me so. But um, I, I hear his voice in my head every time I start to get a little blood pressure rise. And he's like, yeah, they don't get out of bed every day trying to piss you off. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can wait to look at life. Okay. I like sure. that. I'm, I'm going right. to retain that in my memory. I, I think that's that's yeah. one that, that would be useful for me as well. Yes, well, it is. It's very it's very helpful because, you know, and, and vice versa, as I'll say to people, look, <laughs> I'm not trying to, like, throw your, you know, basket off the back of the wagon here. It's not yeah. that simple. Yeah, I like it. How have you got, we've talked about this already, but how have you gotten to where you are now in terms of leadership? You know, I think part of it, there, there's two pieces of it. One, I try to say yes as much as I can, or I try to find answers for people and try to try to be of value as much as I can. I, I've said to people that, you know, at times you, you can sense that someone doesn't think much of you or that they kind of have dismissed you. The way to change that is to roll your sleeves up and find your way into being valuable to them. And that yes. might mean taking on a project they've not asked you to or making sure that something that is in your remit gets done for them better. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's also about kind of listening more than you just march off and do. Uh, mm -hmm. I try to, when I am not on the pressure point of getting something accomplished, try to make sure that I find time for people just to kind of hear what's, what's you know, what's important to them or what's going on. Sometimes it's just personal. Like, you yeah. know, you just have to sit with someone talk about what's hanging them up in their life. Oh. Um and by doing that and, and showing that there's, you know, dimension to the relationship, I, I think I've been able to gain trust and confidence and people have, um, you know, allowed me to expand upon things that I was interested in when I needed them to do that for me. Mm. So, I mean, I recommend that, you know, you don't make everything transactional in your life. I, I've seen some people who are at my level who, you know, can be very kind of, 
practical about their lives and their yes. relationships and they kind of compartmentalize and it's like, well, it's not like you have to sit and spill your whole day out in front of somebody, but you know, it is, it is about trying to figure someone's motivations out and helping them reach them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, also getting the right thing done across the board. If you aren't focused on that, then you end up shortchanging both of you. So that certainly has helped me over time and has, has helped me not end up being, you know, sort of one dimensional where someone's like, oh, you know, so-and-so, Suzanne's just so-and-so's person or, you know, I don't really yeah. know her at all. Yep. Thank you. And our final question today, is there any career advice that you have for our listeners out there? You know, um, it's sort of the theme of what I've been saying, I think. Try new things. I mean, there was a point in my career early on when I started to kind of pick up momentum where I was asked to relocate to London, which I turned down because of sort of stupid reasons now. Hmm. And I'm sorry I didn't do that. And there's probably been a couple things that I didn't work on that I, I wish I had because those experiences would have been great for me. Um, didn't really throw me off. But I, I would say, say, you know, say yes. Try things. Don't get caught up in other, I mean, you can always smell when you're just trying to, you know, when you're just fitting into someone's, you know, kind of bigger motivations. But, yeah. um, you know, I think a lot of times when I, especially with younger people who are sort of newer in their career, lately I've gotten a lot of like, you know, when I, I say, look, I think this would be a great next step for you, I get a lot of, mm, yeah, I don't know, I think I want to do this because this would be better. It's like, out of the two of us, I'm pretty sure I know better. <laughs> yeah. Like, trust that people are trying to do good things for you. And take, you know, take some of those leaps that seem a little scary. Yes. You know, your family's always going to be there. You know, the, the neighborhood you grew up in is always going to be there. You can always go back. There's nothing in life that's going to close a gate behind you that you can't go back to. Yep. Uh, it's very much worth your while. And a year or two dedicated to anything will only add dimension to you. And it won't diminish the fact that you can always choose to do something different after that. Life is long. You know, yeah. your career is going to be long, typically. So don't get afraid of those things. Just, you know, make sure that you you listen to your head and your gut and that you're, you know, you're doing the right stuff. But don't let that get too over-engineered to the point where you're not taking advantage of something. Some salient suggestions. Thank you, Suzanne. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. You've no, had it's very some, fun. A lot of, lot of fun, some really good messages, and um, there, there are a few little nuggets in there I'm going to store away and try and be a little more cognizant of from time to time. And I have a sneaky suspicion there's going to be some gourmet Vegemite coming my way just to prove your point. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, but I'll, I'll give you some. <laughs> I, I think we need to make that happen. I'll, I'll give you some strict instructions on how it's to be consumed. No, I think I need to come visit you back in your territory. Yeah, and have it live. That I, would be the better way. I, I think that would be the much better way. I actually live about one kilometre from where it's made. So oh, there you yeah, go. yeah. So I could, you know, I could even show you the home of Vegemite in Port Melbourne, if you so desire. Oh my! Oh my! Well, that would be the highlight for sure. It would, oh, it would well, definitely turn the tide. I, I think we could probably <laughs> we could probably top that. But uh, yeah, I think I think we'll need to make that happen on on someone else's nickel, as you delightfully said earlier. <laughs> I love yes, I love saying that. That's that is. As my friends used to say when I worked at Arthur Anderson, Uncle Arthur is the most generous benefactor you'll ever have. <laughs> Probably so. I like it. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Suzanne. Thanks, Katie. Thanks. Safe travels. <laughs>